Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. Um, I don't know if you guys have been keeping your eye on what's going on in Israel and Palestine right now, but uh, I just got to tell you right off the bat that I'm feeling super heavy this morning and not a little distracted. Um, Unimaginable things are going on, and I just want to urge us as a community to be in prayer about this and to be praying for peace in our world. Things can get really, really bad. Things can get really, really violent and out of control, and they look like they're going that way. So I'm just kind of being vulnerable with you and telling you where I'm coming from this morning. So pray for me as I seek to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, We've been looking at the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and today we come to a very short and in some ways a very mysterious verse that I hope uh, when we unpack it a little bit will be unto each one of our edification in one way or another. So, beloved, listen to God's word. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's it. What do we do with this story? Well, let me begin here. Um, And I'm gonna ask you to raise your hands or not raise your hands, depending on your comfort level. So you can uh, raise an internal hand if that's more comfortable for you here. How many of you were able to get away, go home, be with your family for Thanksgiving? Okay, a pretty good number of us, others maybe not. How many of you really enjoyed being with your family and it was a joyous time? Okay, good number as well. And here's where the hands may or may not need to go up. How many of you found it actually quite difficult and painful to be with family members on the Thanksgiving weekend. Or even to broaden that out, find it generally just actually difficult to be about some of, be with some of your family members, with your mom or your dad, maybe extended family. Siblings are super difficult, it's just hard, man. Family relationships can be hard and you're in that place. And the prospect of going home for Thanksgiving or any other kind of holiday is actually a weighty affair for you. And instead of blessing your family, you feel like you want to pull their hair out sometimes. There's a cute little story about a girl named Susie and her brother Billy, and they're having a dispute, and Susie gets frustrated, and she pulls her brother's hair and kicks him in the shins, and mom comes to Susie and says, Susie, why would you let the devil make you pull your brother's hair and kick him in the shins? Susie replied, well, mommy, I, the devil may have made me pull Billy's hair, but kicking him in the shins is my own idea. <laughs> John Ortberg, a Presbyterian pastor, is really wonderful with sermon titles that later turn into book titles. He had a book called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Gotta Get Out of the Boat. Somebody was lipping that as I was saying it. Very well done. Another one was, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. I think this can apply to families as well. Every family's normal until you really get to know them. Every family's happy until you actually get to know the family 
Every family's healthy and perfectly functional until you actually become a part of that family. The reality about our family and relational lives and our family lives is that they're dysfunctional. They exist on a scale of dysfunction in this broken world. And it causes us anguish and it causes us pain and it sometimes even makes us despair of the future for our families or certain family members. How can God make this right? How can God fix this situation? How can there be anything good coming down the pipe? I want to talk to you this morning in the time I have left about two marvels that we find in Scripture related to our text, okay? Two marvels that we find in Scripture. The first is this. Scripture is brutally, vividly honest about the brokenness and dysfunction of the family after the fall. In other words, Anything that you could possibly go through in your family life or your relational life with siblings or parents or the otherwise, scriptures, characters can identify with what you're going through. I mean, if you just take a very small portion of scripture from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve, and you do a sweep and look at the relationships, the family dynamics that go into our text for today the story behind the text for today, if you will, with Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, you'll see unbelievable dysfunction all over the place. To just give you a bit of a survey, Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and immediately they have intimacy struggles in their marriage. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to expose themselves to one another. It's difficult. And then when God confronts Adam, instead of defending his wife and standing up for her honor, he throws her under the bus. One scholar calls this the first intimation of divorce in scripture. Adam throwing his wife under the bus. And then they have children. They have Cain and Abel. And as we already looked at, Cain has a homicidal rage for his brother and goes the whole way and kills his brother. Imagine the misery that Adam and Eve felt at this time as parents when a son does this to another son, it's unthinkable. Oh, the dysfunction. Oh, the brokenness. And it only continues. Noah's got a bit of a drinking problem. Ham's got a bit of a respect problem. And then Noah, instead of trying to bless Ham, curses Ham. Says, there is no future for you. Sets enmity between him and his brothers. Abram and Sarah. Sarah is infertile. But instead of depending on God, Sarah gets a harebrained idea that Adam, or sorry, Abraham should sleep with Hagar, his mistress, and now you've got a triangulating relationship and a marriage. And then there's incredible friction between Hagar and Sarah, no wonder. And then when Ishmael is born, there's friction between Ishmael and Isaac, once Isaac is born. And the text says that he Isaacs Isaacs, he laughs at laughter, we're not sure exactly what's going on there, but it's bad enough for God to send Ishmael and Hagar away. You have the first experiment at a blended family that goes incredibly badly. And then when you get to our text for today, Rebecca favors Jacob, Isaac favors Esau. Jacob is a deceiver, steals the blessing, steals first the birthright and then the blessing with the help of his mother. Isaac is a sensualist by the time we get to our text and not much concerned about the promises of God anymore or perpetuating the faith in his children. He's more concerned about eating red, red stuff that Esau can make for him. Our text, the story behind what the author of Hebrews is talking about ends as a complete catastrophe where Esau has a homicidal raid for Jacob and wants to kill him. 
It's bad. There's nothing that you can go through that scripture's characters have not already gone through. It is brutally honest. It's a marvel at just how honest it is about brokenness in general, but brokenness about families specifically. Here's the second marvel that's behind Hebrews 11, verse 20. Isaac sees the tragic nature of his family. Esau's now came like homicidal rage for Jacob. Jacob's needing to run away and escape. And yet, unbelievably, marvelously, he stands over them and is able to offer both of them a blessing, which, to put it very, very simply, almost simplistically, is to say, it's going to be okay in your future, don't worry. How do you bless an unblessable future? How do you see good where there's no evidence that there's going to be goodness? How do you see this in your own family system if you're feeling despair? when you see that there's no possible future relationship, when maybe you don't see that one of your siblings is going to come to faith, you don't see how your parents are gonna start functioning well again. How is it possible that Isaac stands over these two unbelievably broken sons in a broken system and blesses them with reference to their future? Well, the author of Hebrews says it's simple, by faith. And the right question we ask is, well, by faith in what? Like, Trusting in what? Believing in what exactly? And I would love to tell you that he believes that the promises that God made to Abram means that every single one of Abram's descendants is going to have a flourishing future. But I don't think I can make that promise. I think that would be to promise too much. Don't see evidence for that in the text. So what is going on here? I'd love to give you the mystical answer that Isaac hears God's voice and says, don't worry, it's gonna be okay with both of your boys even though things are horrible right now, but I don't see evidence for that in the text. I think all I can give you, and I struggled hard to this, this is a tough text. I think all I could give you is a general answer this morning. I think Isaac was able to bless Jacob and Esau with regard to their future because he believed something about his sons on the one hand and he believed something about God on the other hand. About his sons, I think he believed this, and I think you can argue this from the text. He saw that the book was not closed on them yet. The last chapter had not been written. There was an openness in each of them to be transformed in the future. So maybe a different future was possible for his sons because of what was intrinsic within them. The last chapter had not been written. I think that's going on. But then with reference to God, I believe... And I think that Isaac saw something else as well. But instead of just telling it to you straight, let, it, let me tell it to you slant for a moment. Because I was pondering this question, wondering how I could land this message, what kind of faith it was. And I'm not trying to be super spiritual here, but I had a dream, okay? I had a dream. I'm not claiming this dream was from God or anything like that, but it does make the point that I think is made in Scripture. And it's kind of hilarious. It was early in the morning. My wife was already out of bed. I woke up from the dream when she came back into the room. It's bizarre and hilarious, but it makes a profound point. So hear me out. And I'll try to be brief. I know we're getting close here. So I was dreaming that I had been fishing, okay? And I had no success fishing. So I was back on shore. I was sitting in a lawn chair. I was beside a barn, a very small barn, red barn that was like a shed. And the door to this barn shed was open. I'm sitting down on the lawn chair and on my lap, I have an egg carton. But there's not white 
you know, eggs in it or brown eggs. There's not eggs at all, but there's little chicks, little yellow, furry, cute, adorable chicks, but they were dead. They were all dead in these little milk cartons. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is so weird. At least I thought they were dead. I'm sitting there and all of a sudden out of the barn comes two creatures. One was like some kind of cat. The other though was a six foot tall bird, flamingo-like but much heavier, almost like a, a rep, like a dinosaur, a reptile. And it was menacing. It had big eyes, a big beak, and it had those really quick, you know, jolting bird movements. And it ran out of there and it came up to me and it's like looking at these eggs or looking at rather the little chicks on my lap. And I thought, oh my goodness, like he's going to come after me. I'll just feed him one of these. And by the way, I was going to use these chicks. I thought I was going to fish with them and have better success. That's why they were on my lap. This bizarre dream. So anyways, I'm like, well, I'll just throw them one. I'll throw this raptor thing, this bird with fiery orange red feathers, by the way. It was really terrifying looking. I, so I threw it between it and the other creature. And immediately this bird with fiery orange feathers goes and crouches down and pulls in the little chick in front of him. And the other animal disappeared. It didn't come back in the dream. And I, I looked at this thing and its eyes were beating this big bird. And then I looked down at the little chick and it was alive. And it was looking at me with pleading eyes like, you just threw me to a big bird that's certainly going to eat me. This menacing bird. And I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I've got to rescue the little chick. And then I thought, no, you know what? This is too scary. I'm just going to let it go. The chick is going to be eaten. Sorry about that. The big bird goes into the barn area and uh, I continue to look at it. And the little chick is just staring at me with these eyes. I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to do something. So I got up from my chair and I go into the barn to start a battle with this big bird. And uh, strangely enough, the, I had a teddy bear that appeared in my left hand that was wrapped in shiny cellophane, right? Bizarre. And so I'm batting this big bird away with this teddy bear that's covered in cellophane, hitting its head, trying to get it to drop the little bird. Finally, it does drop the little bird and he scurries away into a little bookshelf that was in the side of the barn and hides in the back of the bookshelf. And I go back to the big bird because it was running to get it and I bat it away a couple of times and I remember pushing on it and it was super heavy and I thought, my goodness, you know, this thing is really heavy. I think I was pushing into the bed at that moment, starting to act out my dream. Anyways, I go to reach into the bookshelf and this little chick keeps running away from me and it won't let me grab it. It won't come into my hands, even though I'm trying to save it. And I said in my dream, I'm here to help you. I'm your only hope. You're going to be devoured unless you come to me. And it kept running away from me. And it became a bit of a panic and I'm reaching for this bird. And finally, I actually get the little chick and I exited the barn and rescued it from the big, fiery, orange, red, feathered bird. And I woke up. And I thought, this is a parable of what God is like with us. I believe that Isaac could bless his sons with reference to their future because he knows that God is a God who does not give up on us. We may have given up on our family members. We may have stopped wrestling for a better future for our family members, but we can surrender the mess to God knowing that God doesn't give up. He is the mighty hound of heaven. He comes after us with a fierce and fiery love. I can't get into it, but Isaac experiences it. If you read this story, Jacob experiences it. And there's even a rapprochement between Jacob and Esau. Their hearts have been changed where Jacob could say of Esau, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. 
God can do marvelous things. Final story and I conclude. This is a true story. It was at, um, I was pastor in Webster, New York, and there was a lady in my congregation in her 70s. She had a very wayward son and there was really no earthly hope for him. He had completely abandoned his relationship with God. He'd abandoned his relationship with his family. Mary said, how do you cope with this? And she said, Ed, I love my son. I love my son, but I know this. God loves my son even more than I do. And so I can surrender the pain and the difficulty to God. I keep on praying, but I know God loves him, loves him enough to give his one and only son in order that my son might live. This is the hope we have. I know it can be difficult with our family members, but surrender the mess to God, knowing that he is the mighty hound of heaven.